the first creepy and mysterious episode with Cook. I will be telling you two creepy stories, followed by two mysterious stories that you will have to decide for yourself if you believe them or not. Well, get ready, because here we go with the first story, The Portraits. There was a hunter in the woods who, after a long day hunting, was in the middle of an immense forest. It was getting dark and having lost his bearings, he decided to head in one direction till he was clear of the increasingly oppressive foliage. After what seemed like hours, he came across the cabin in a small clearing, realizing how dark it had grown. He decided to see if he could stay there for the night. He approached and found the door ajar. Nobody was inside. The hunter flopped down on the bed, deciding to explain himself to the owner in the morning. As he looked around, he was surprised to see the walls adorned by many portraits, all painted incredibly in detail. With that exception, they appeared to be staring down at him, their features twisted into looks of hatred. Staring back, he grew increasingly uncomfortable, making a consorted effort to ignore the many hateful faces. He turned to face the wall, and exhausted, he fell into a restless sleep. Face down in an unfamiliar bed, he turned, blinking in an unexpected sunlight, Looking up, he discovered the cabin he was in actually had no portraits. It only had windows. Alright everyone, if you loved the last story, you're going to like this one. This story is also from Creepypasta, if I didn't tell you about the first one. So get ready. Here we go with the second story. Titled Candle Cove. Let me give you a little overview of Candle Cove. It is a widely known and popular creepypasta about a fictional television series recollected by a number of posters on a childhood nostalgia form. As the posters share their recollections, the things they collectively remember becoming more and more sinister with the characters featured clearly being unsuitable for children's viewing. Notably examples are the laughingstock, the boat that is alive and sports a huge mouth, Horace, horrible, a one-eyed character with two large teeth, and most famously a skeleton character known as the skin taker, who wears the flesh of children over his naked bones. Hardly Sesame Street, isn't it? Now, let's get into this story. So, this is the forum. It's Net Nostalgia Forum Television Local. So, a person t- titled Sky Shell 033 has a subject Candle Cove Local Kids Show? Question mark. Does anyone remember this kids show? It was called Candle Cove, and I must have been six or seven. I never found reference to it anywhere, so I think it was a local station around 1971 or 1972. I lived in Ironton at the same time. 
I don't remember which station, but I do remember it was on at a weird time, like 4 p.m. Mike Painter 65 replies, It seems really familiar to me. I grew up outside of Ashland, and I was nine years old in 72. Candle Cove. Was it about pirates? I remember a pirate, Marinette, at the mouth of a cave, talking to a little girl. Skyshell replies, Yes. Okay, I'm not crazy. I remember Pirate Percy. I was also kind of scared of him. He looked like he was built from parts of other dolls. Real low budget. His head was an old porcelain baby doll. Looked like an antique that didn't belong on the body. I don't remember what station this was. I don't think it was WTSF, though. A third person chimes in. Jaren, 2005. Sorry to resurrect this old thread, but I know exactly what show you mean. Sky Shell. I think Candle Cove ran for only a couple months in 71, not 72. I was 12 and I watched it a few times with my brother. It was channel 58, whatever station that was. My mom would let me watch it after the news. Let me see what I remember. Took place in Candle Cove, and it was about a little girl who imagined herself to be friends with pirates. The pirate ship was called the Laughingstock. A pirate Percy wasn't a good pirate because he got scared too easily, and there was calope music constantly playing. Don't remember the girl's name, Janice or Jade or something. I think it was Janice. Sky Shell replies. Thank you, Jaren. Memories are flooding back when you mention the Laughingstock and Channel 58. I remember the bow of the ship was a wooden smiley face with the lower jaw submerged. It looked like it was swallowing the sea, and it had an awful Edwin voice and laugh. I especially remember how Jaren... How jarring it was when they switched from the wooden plastic model to the foam puppet version of the head that talked. And then Mike replies, Haha, I remember that now too. Do you remember this part, Skyshell? You have to go inside. Uh, Mike, I got a chill reading that. Yes, I remember. That was the always that was the ship always told Percy when there was a spooky place he had to go in like a cave or dark room where the treasure was and the camera would push in Laughingstock's face with each pause you have to go inside with his two eyes askew and that flopping foam jaw and the fishing line that opened and closed it ugh it just looks so cheap and awful. You guys remember the villain? He had a face that was just a handlebar mustache above really tall, narrow teeth. Kevin replies, honestly, honestly thought the villain was Pirate Percy. I was about five when this show was on. It was nightmare fuel. Then Jerry replies, that wasn't the villain. Puppet with the mustache. That was the villain's sidekick. Horace Horrible. He had a monocle too, but it was on top of the mustache. I used to think that meant he had only one eye. But yeah, the villain was Marinette, the skin taker. I can't believe what they let us watch back then. 
And Kevin replies, Jesus Christ, the skin taker? What kind of kids show were we watching? I seriously could not look at the screen when the skin taker showed up. He just descended out of nowhere on his strings. Just a dirty skeleton wearing that brown top hat and cape. And his glass eyes that were too big for his skull. Christ almighty. Skyshell replies then, wasn't his top hat and cloak all sewn up crazily? Was that supposed to be children's skin? Mike replies, I think so. Remember his mouth didn't open and close? His jaw just slid back and forth. I remember the little girl said, why does your mouth move like that? And the skin taker didn't look at the girl, but at the camera and said to grind your skin. I'm so relieved that other people remember this terrible show. I used to have this awful memory, a bad dream. I had where the opening jingle ended, the show faded in from back and the characters were there, but the camera was just cutting to the uh, cutting to each of their faces and they were just screaming and the puppets and the marionettes were flailing spastically spastically I don't know how he said the word and just all screaming and screaming the girl was just moaning crying like she had been through hours of this I woke up many times from that nightmare I used to wet the bed when I had it Kevin replies I don't think that was a dream I remember that I remember that wasn't an episode. Sky, no, 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 not possible. There was no plot or anything. I mean, literally just standing in place crying and screaming for the whole show. Kevin, maybe I'm manufacturing the memory because you said that. But I swear to God, I remember seeing what you described. They just screamed. Jaren, oh God, yes, the little girl, Janice. I remember seeing her shake and the skin taker screaming through his gnashing teeth, his jaw careening so widely I thought it would come off his wire hinges. I turned it off and it was just the last time I watched. I ran to my brother and we didn't have the courage to turn it back on. Mike, I visited my mom today at the nursing home. I asked her about when I was little in the early 70s, when I was 8 or 9. And if she remembered a kid's show, Candle Cove, she said she was surprised I could remember that. And I asked why. And she said, because I used to think it was so strange that you said, I'm going to go watch Candle Cove now, Mom. And then you would turn, tune the TV to static and just watch dead air for 30 minutes. You had a big imagination with your little pirate show. Oh my god, that is wild. So, let me know what you all think about that. That's pretty crazy. If you follow us on Facebook or anything, leave comments about that. So, these kids remember this show. Come to find out, they're all watching Static. And it's all in their mind. But how do they all... How do they all know that? How are they all remembering the same things? Only thing I, I, I can think of is maybe... I mean, it, it is a story, but it's a damn good one. I mean, the only 
thing you can come up with this as a say I don't know spirits or something we're coming through the TV to all, all little kids that's the only thing I came up with next we're going to talk about two mysterious stories that's actually going on in the world that you might have heard about might not but might interest you so that's coming up next let's figure out these mysterious stories so these stories will revolve around real people and places in the world this first one is based on a true story of the disappearance of Brianna Maitland so let's get it going so Brianna Alexandra Maitland was born October 8, 1986, disappeared March 19, 2004. She's an American teenager and she was born in Montgomery, Vermont. So let's get into the story now. First, let's talk about the disappearance. So on February 24th, 2004, Brianna was enjoying a party when she was confronted by a young woman named Keely LaCrosse. Keely was a friend of hers. Keely thought Brianna was flirting with her boyfriend. Brianna tried to defuse the situation by leaving the party with her boyfriend, James Robitaille. She followed Brianna out to the parking lot. And there she proceeded to beat up Brianna. Brianna refused to fight back because of their friendship. After Keely was done, Brianna left the party. A friend convinced her to go to the hospital the next day. She was treated for cuts, two black eyes, a broken nose, and a concussion. She filed a criminal complaint against Keely in the following days. During the following weeks, Brianna continued to work her jobs and prepared for the GED. She hadn't been moving between homes as much and had been staying with her friend Jillian. On March 19th, she took her GED. After the test, she and her mom Kelly went out to celebrate. They then went to shopping and ran some errands. The two were waiting in line to pay at the store when something distracted Brianna. Kelly wasn't sure what had caught her daughter's eye. Kelly. Okay, it's not Keely. It's This is Kelly. It's a different person altogether. I was kind of confused too, guys. I was like, what the fuck? Her mom? Wait, what? Huh? No, but we got it worked out. So Kelly is her mom. So Kelly wasn't sure what had caught her daughter's eye, but Brianna told her she would be right back. According to Kelly, she met her daughter in the parking lot. Brianna looked visibly shaken. She quickly told her mom she had to go back home and get ready for work. That night at the Black Lantern Inn. Kelly drove Brianna to Jillian's house in Sheldon between 3.30 and 4 p.m. Brianna gets ready for her shift. She left Jillian a note saying she was off to work. She left in her pale green 1985 four-door Oldsmobile and headed to the Black Lantern Inn. Brianna didn't make it home that night. Jillian assumed she went to stay with her parents. Three days went by. Jillian hadn't heard from Brianna. Kelly and Brianna's dad, Bruce, hadn't seen their daughter since Kelly dropped her off at Jillian's three days earlier. Kelly and Bruce reported Brianna missing the car accident. After the report was filed, bells went off because police had a tip. They learned on March 20th, law enforcement was called out to Route 118 in Montgomery. An Oldsmobile was backed into an abandoned Dutch barn house off the road. It appeared to be an accident. 
Several passerbys had seen the car. One even stopped to take pictures of the strange placement of the car. When law enforcement was on the scene, they began to gather evidence, and there was plenty of it. Inside of the passenger seat were two of paychecks uncashed, and they were made out to Brianna Maitland on the passenger floor inside a styrofoam takeout container with half-eaten burrito. Also inside Brianna's car was her medicine for her migraines, her driver's license, her contacts, and most of her clothes. Next to the Dutch barn house was a woman's fleece jacket that didn't belong to Brianna. There was a broken necklace on the ground outside the driver's side door. It is unknown who the necklace belongs to. There was also loose change and a plastic water bottle. Law enforcement knew the registered owner of the car was Kelly Maitland, but upon finding Brianna's checks, they assumed she was the main driver. They visited her work and spoke with co-workers. The co-workers told police Brianna left between 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. after her shift. At this point, law enforcement thought the car had been abandoned. Just like Brianna's friends and family, they had no idea Brianna was missing yet. Okay, now let's get into some points of interest here. Uh, let's see. No, 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 no. A month after Brianna's disappearance, an anonymous tip came in that Brianna was being held against her will. The Vermont State Police raided a home in Berkshire on Reservoir Road. Inside, they found two drug dealers, drugs, but no sign of Brianna. The dealers, Raymond Ryans and Nathaniel Charles Jackson, knew Brianna. Nathaniel had seen her the week before she disappeared. They were arrested on drug charges, and law enforcement hoped the thought of prison time would get them to share more than that information. Supposedly, Ryan's cut a deal with the prosecution. He would tell them what he knew about Brianna for a lighter sentence. Neither the public nor Brianna's family would were told what he offered, but he received 45 days, which equated to time served. As of now, neither Ryan's nor Jackson have been arrested in relation to Brianna's disappearance. But Ryan's choice to go to New York brings into question another theory. At the time of Brianna's disappearance, women were being taken from, from Vermont to New York and placed in the sex trafficking underbelly. Although no direct evidence has surfaced to the point this happened to Brianna. In 2006, a woman on security video taken at Caesars World Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, strongly resembled Brianna. Vermont State Police made the drive to check it out. They were unable to identify the woman. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, she just vanished without a trace. There's nothing else. Like, they've questioned people, everything. I mean, uh, she disappeared. She was 5'3", five, 5'5", five, five, between 105 118 pounds. So she, she had brown hair, hazel eyes. Her left nostril was pierced. She's wearing a ring stud in it. She had a faint scar on her left cheek eyebrow to her forehead. Brown also went by nicknames Bree and B. She would be 34 years old now if, you know. So, man... Yes, she was born the same year I was. The The placement of the car is really weird. Like, it, it doesn't really look like an accident. But I'm, because 
they took pictures of it. It doesn't look like she actually ran off the road. Looks like someone got in the car and straight backed the car up into this barn-looking house. And, you know, I'd say about 10 inches of the rear corner is into the building. Other than that, it's just weird. It looks really weird. My post pictures of it for you all to see. But there you go. That's the disappearance of uh, Brianna Matland. What do you all think? What do you think happened to her? Did she get, you know, she get beat up, killed by her friend? I can't believe you'd do that to a friend. She must have been pissed. But, I mean, it could have been, you know, that's what happens when you get in with drug dealers. It's never good. You're never going to come out on top of that. If you start messing with drug dealers, you could, you know, you could, uh, get involved with the wrong crowd you could OD from taking the drugs drug dealers could come fuck your shit up fuck you up cause you own money I mean there's so many scenarios with it you could be killed cause you own money you, it could even be accidental and they're gonna hide the body you never no, nobody would find it if they hit it well you know it could be anything they could probably start out as drug dealers something small like say marijuana then it's not even a drug in my opinion but then eventually start making money and realize oh i can make more money let's get in the crack coke heroin and it just progressively gets worse and then maybe after a while they're like hey let's get into sex trafficking and then that's i'm pretty sure that could be one of the things that happens and that could have been what happened but i'm not saying that it wasn't, but I mean, if the cops did their job, they didn't find anything. I mean, I don't know. Could be anything. Let me your thoughts in the comments. Okay, the second story is about the most mysterious place in the world. You know, most unusual place. It's uh, called Point Nemo. Point Nemo is the most remote place on Earth from land. And as you might have guessed, if you did, some people don't know, it was named after the well-known captain from the novel by Jules Verne. You know, it's the perfect place to hide a spaceship. It was here under the waters of the Pacific Ocean that the ships found their last resting place, plowing the vast expanses of our universes. Surprisingly, facts about the lifeless pole of inaccessibility where the cemetery of dead ships are arranged. So, uh, now... This is also where the sound of the bloop came from. I think I played that on a previous episode. I hate to think we didn't, but uh, I'll play the bloop at the end of this. It's three minutes, three and a half minutes long. But uh, yeah, that's where bloop came from. But anyways, in the South Pacific, there's a place unlike any other place on the planet. They call this place Point Nemo, which is actually the most remote geographically co coordinate of the world ocean not only from inhabited places of earth but also from land in principle over 2.6 thousand kilometers to each of the nearest two islands with around 37 million square kilometers in 1997 the u.s national oceanographer we'll just say noaa reported that in the area of point nemo its experts recorded a mysterious noise the sound later became known as the bloop the world media picked up on it and replicated it. BBC reported that the noise was even more shrill than the subsonic voice of a blue whale. 
However, the NOAA said it was, they had an explanation for it. They tried to say it was breaking ocean ice or something, another cracking, generating a powerful low frequency sound. But it's possible that the bloop could have came from a giant and yet unknown underwater animal. Perhaps the Tulu, which was also a Lovecraft book. And that's why Lovecraft loved it so much. He was talking about the Call of Tulu. Well, the Call of Tulu, I guess, based around the Kraken. So it possibly could be a Kraken, you know. But it could, you know, maybe maybe it could be the sounds of, you know, all the space debris. Maybe it's disturbing the creature's home where he lives at and he's pissed off. So he's screaming and shit. And then it's here where the scientists say that we found about 30% fewer micronisms in the nearest surface waters than elsewhere. This is possible the lowest ever measured in the surface waters of the entire oceans. It's microbiologist says. So there's fewer microorganisms here than anywhere else. And they say a few, you know, several factors contribute to this lifelessness. First, the vast distances to land and great depths of the ocean. It is the close located land and bottom that are the main sources of nutrition of all marine life. Secondly, Point Nemo is isolated from the rest of the ocean by strong currents. They also impede the supply of essential substances for life. Finally, a powerful stream of ultraviolet radiation falls from surface layers of the ocean from above. So, like I said, spaceships, all the stuff we got up there, space junk. I didn't even know this place existed. But because of the isolation, Point Nemo has become a graveyard for spaceships. All spaceships are flooded here, which, due to their size, cannot completely burn up in the atmosphere. You know, there's 140 Russian supply vehicles, European Space Agent Agency freighters. There's even evidently a SpaceX rocket there. There's a lot of satellites, spaceships. And also the force of gravity guarantees that everything that has fallen from heaven will return home sooner or later. So it goes back to what comes up must come down. What's even stranger is H.P. Lovecraft in the nearest degree indicated the place where the monster from his novels dwells. You know, he he placed his lost city at the coordinates 47.9 south and 126.43 west. That's just 205 miles from the point Nemo. So he got extremely close in his book to where he said his monster was at, the Cholula, which kind of is like a kraken, you know. And uh, August 3rd, Let, one of the creators of the Chulu myths, placed his city 49.51 south and 128.34 west, also in the general area. Obviously, both were looking for the most remote place from land. But without the use of modern satellites and computers, you know, how did they how did they know this spot? Another science fiction writer, which is Jules Verne, which we started talking about, felt the action in the area. It was here that the unsociable Captain Nemo loved to live. So, uh, that's wild. 1992, the Croatian engineer explorer Hivor Lukatela decided to determine the most remote and inaccessible point on the globe. According to his calculations, it turned out to be 48 degrees, 52 minutes south latitude, and 123 degrees, 23 minutes west longitude, quite close to Chilulu's lair. But the engineer turned out to be admirer of the Jules Verne. So, therefore, that's where the Point Nemo name came from, which I've done stated. ISS is the closest to Point Nemo. The station passes over, this is the satellite, passes over an altitude of about 250 miles each time from 15 daily orbits around the globe. So that's pretty wild that there ain't much there. It's super cold, not a lot of life there, not a lot of nutrition there from land or any other spot. And it's just so deep, but that's where supposedly the bloop came from. 
So, what do you think the bloop is? Do you think it's a iceberg, ice quake, or whatever they want to call it? Or do you think it's actually an underwater freaking monster? Or, like, Kraken? I mean, I really want it to be that. So, that's what I'm going with. But anyways, that's uh, Point Nemo. Very wild place. Out in the depths of nowhere, there's nothing there. Hardly any wildlife. And, you know, space material, space junk, I guess you can say, gets dropped there. But anyways, that's uh, episode one. I hope you like it and everything. And also, at the end of every episode, I will be doing a dark riddles segment. I will give you a, a riddle at the end of it. It's kind of dark, and then you will have to find the answer. Think about it, whatever. But I will give you the answer on the next next week's episode of Creepy and Mysterious Knowledge with Cook. Also, at the end of this riddle, on this one, I will be playing the bloop. Full bloop entirety, not the sped up one. So it's 3 minutes and 30 seconds. So be sure to listen to that as well. Without further ado, here's the dark riddle. It's right behind you and creeps on the ground. It follows you home, but does not make a sound. Careful when you turn around. What is it?